the first reading this morning is from uh, J.C., as in John Cummins, <laughs> our minister emeritus. Is John sitting here? Is he here today? Is he? No, he's not. Oh, I was hoping to look right at him. And he's, he's been a real um, mentor and source of wisdom for me, and it's with joy I share this uh, reading from his book, The Strange and Wondrous Journey. It's from a sermon he wrote entitled, The Faith of an Atheist. He writes, Do you still believe in Santa Claus as you did as a child? And if you're here with your kids' parents, you might cover their ears at this point. I don't want to tell you what to do, but just saying. Do you believe in Santa Claus as you did as a child? Of course you don't. You have rejected the old childish faith in a literal Santa, to make room for a larger, albeit more abstract faith in the rightness and joy and goodness of giving. You have become an atheist with regard to Santa Claus, and yet you now possess a larger faith than ever before. You have been disillusioned, and that is what growing and growing up are all about. Having your illusions removed to make room for a larger and truer faith. The second reading is by May Sarton. It's entitled Unison Benediction. Return to the most human. Nothing less will nourish the torn spirit, the bewildered heart, the angry mind, and from the ultimate duress, pierced with the breath of anguish, speak of love. Return. Return to the deep sources. Nothing less will teach the stiff hands a new way to serve to carve into our lives the forms of tenderness and still that ancient, necessary pain preserve. Return to the most human. Nothing less will teach the angry spirit, the bewildered heart, the torn mind to accept the whole of its duress and pierced with anguish at last act for love. Well, today is the grand finale of the three-part Got Faith sermon series. And I can't wait to see how it ends. <laughs> I expect some fireworks, perhaps, maybe some sparklers, something, maybe some surprises along the way. If you're just joining us, let me welcome you again and briefly orient you to where we are in this series. Two weeks ago, we spent some time exploring the basic question of faith, asking, what is it? And I drew heavily from Buddhist uh, Sharon Salzberg's book, Faith, and suggested that faith could be understood as a verb, 
as something you do, a step you take, a leap you make, something you do again and again as you learn to trust your own deepest experiences. I also said that faith could be understood as giving your heart to someone or something. A terribly vulnerable, personal thing to do, but in faith, you trust that it can be done, and in doing it, your life is enhanced and you grow as a human being. Last week, that was week first, September 12th, last week we went excavating, we went digging into our religious past, and boy, oh boy, we dug up a lot. <laughs> in fact, I'll be honest, you all, many of you in this sanctuary, took very seriously the invitation to excavate your religious past. And the online cyber coffee hour has been abuzz <laughs> with your honest and respectful reflections and personal sharings and poetry. And I am impressed. And whether you know it or not, you're doing theology. You're doing the work of exploring and excavating and examining to come up with something better and stronger than what was. And whether or not you posted online, if you're still buzzing from last week, I invite all of you to take 15 minutes. You can do this in 15 minutes and just write about last week and whatever came up for you because you'll be surprised by the memories and experiences and stories. Unpack it, excavate it, go deep. Last week, before I dug into the heart of the sermon, I shared some of the assumptions I brought to this pulpit. I assumed that many of us grew up Christian, or were at least shaped by Christianity. Not all of us, of course, but many of us. I assumed that many of us had been frustrated or hurt or wounded by Christianity. Not all, but many. And that finding First Universalists and moving into this creed-free, doctrine-free, dogma-free zone felt really good, and you were happy to be here. And I assumed that because of some of those wounds, some of that hurt, some of that anger, that we as a faith community, intentionally or otherwise, often belittle or dismiss or ignore or make fun of Christians and Christianity. And I said, for a faith that prides itself on tolerance and open-mindedness, that this makes us look kind of silly. And it was, in fact, this tension with our religious past and history was the big elephant in the room. And if you were here last Sunday, you walked in wondering, what in the heck is that elephant doing in the room? Something we talk around, we know is there, but we don't engage. And last Sunday, we excavated it. We engaged it. We searched for treasures in the Bible, in Christianity, in that story. Treasures in your own lives that could still have meaning and power today. And I have to be honest with you, in all the sermons I've preached in the, over the year that I've been here, th this is the one, this one right now, that's happening in progress, the one that I have thought the most about. How to respond, what to say to all of this conversation. And there are a couple of things you need to know, I need to say to you, before we actually get to the part about integrating your faith. The first is this, quite simply, dear church, I, lo I love you. I love you balcony people. There's really a whole church up there, you guys. There's a balcony church. Yes. And I love you main floor church people. 
And thank you, <laughs> thank you. And I love you who are just coming into this community, who have come with yearnings and hurts and hopes and dreams, wondering, is this a place you could belong? So you need to know I love you and I love this church and I love this liberal, generous faith we call Unitarian Universalism. You also need to know that I hold you, I hold this congregation in my thoughts and in my prayers on a regular basis, in my journal on Sunday mornings as I'm doing final thinking on, this, on a sermon. I think about the people in the pews, you all. I don't know many of you. I only know a piece of some of your stories. But again, you've come here with so much. And together, we are about something sacred and holy and powerful. So I love you and I hold you in my prayers. You also need to know that I have no intention of turning First Universalist into some kind of Christian church with a huge cross right here or having the Apostles' Creed be woven into our liturgy. It's not in the cards. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe there's a few of you that were really hoping we could go that direction. You also need to know that when I talk about God, which is really silly, right? Because God is that thing that is bigger than all of us yet in each of us. When I talk about God, when any of us talk about God, it's kind of folly. Because what we have are words to talk about that mystery. And words, they just kind of fail. So here's what you need to hear about God. God is not a Christian, or a Jew, or a Muslim, or any other religious figurehead that you could possibly imagine. God is not God's name. Don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself, the Buddhists like to say. God is just the word that points to that big mystery, to that greater thing. As a colleague of mine put it, God is simply the name my heart gives to the mystery that is at the center of things. God is simply the name my heart gives to the mystery that is at the center of things, and the word doesn't make us Christian. It reminds me of a story a colleague uh, recently shared with me. She had been guest preaching, and after the service, someone came up to her in the receiving line and said, why are you trying to convert us to Christianity? And she thought about the sermon for a minute and thought through what she had said, the stories, the sacred texts she relied on. She really thought. And then she said to this, to this person, do you think that because I use the word God, I'm trying to make you into Christians? Yes, said the person. I get enough God everywhere else in my life, and I come to church to get away from God. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I, mean, like, I get enough God everywhere else. I come to church to get away from God. Well, hmm. And, and in that vein, what you need to hear is that just because I talk about the Bible, or Kate, or any preacher in this pulpit talks about the Bible. It doesn't mean we're going to become Christian. It means the Bible has important things to say about earth stewardship, about social justice, about how we relate to the least among us. 
The Jewish Christian tradition is our inheritance, even as we seek wisdom and understanding from other world religions and sources and nature itself. And I don't want to walk away from that inheritance. I don't want to abandon the Bible and let fundamentalist religious conservatives and others who interpret the Bible in paternalistic and oppressive ways define it for everyone else because we have given up our claim on that text. I don't want your children or my son to be defenseless on the playground when he's being hit with those questions about the Bible and Jesus and hell and salvation and Christianity and all he can do is shrug and say, well, I don't really know and at my church you can believe anything. (laughs) And he comes home feeling like he's been hurt. I want our children and I want us to be equipped with our religious liberal understanding of the Bible. I want them to know, I want you to know, that Jesus was a human being who didn't die for our sins or our children's sins, but had a powerful vision of how the world might be. I want our children to know that a God that requires a violent sacrifice is no God at all. Preach it to me out there. I love that. Keep that coming. (laughs) And I want them to know that the Sodom and Gomorrah story has nothing to do with homosexuality and everything to do with hospitality. And I want our children and us to be able to respond. Amen. I want us and our children to be able to respond in an authentic way grounded in our liberal religious tradition when the Catholic Church and the Archbishop of Minnesota sends out 400,000 DVDs condemning gay people and those loving relationships that we can respond from our own interpretation of the Bible. I don't want to abandon that text because we have a claim to it, we have a perspective on it, and we have something this world needs to hear. All right, all right, church. (laughs) And I want us to know and to grasp and to sense in the biblical story and so many other stories what Rebecca Parker, the Reverend Rebecca Parker, and other religious progressives call dangerous love. As she writes about in her book, House of Hope, religious progressives advocate for a love that surprises and disrupts and alters the status quo, that expresses itself in diverse ways, that comes in rainbow colors. And those who want to preserve the existing social and economic order invest in prohibiting such love, such surprising, disruptive, challenging love. So I want our kids to know that Jesus and Starhawk and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Bell Hooks and Marion Wright Edelman and Jim Wallace and thousands and thousands of others lived and embodied that dangerous, surprising, disruptive love in their lives, and we and they can do it too. It's not always easy, but we can do it. We've seen it done. We know It's possible, even if it's on a scaled-down version. And this is where the idea of integrating your faith comes into the picture. Integrating, as the word suggests, is about putting the pieces together to make a whole. Think of integrity. 
Integrity, as someone once described it to me, is that place where beliefs and actions come together. Where your beliefs and your actions are in alignment in the world. And as we continually integrate our faith, bringing those different pieces together, we move toward that place of integrity in our living. So I start. I start with the assumption that we all have faith. And if, and if you don't know, I believe that you haven't been listening very well. I believe we all have some kind of faith, a framework of meaning in our lives. We all have something we trust or rely on or confide in or give our hearts to or we are trying our darndest to figure out what it is we do trust and rely on and give our hearts to. And the joy of a Unitarian Universalist church like this one is that no one will tell you what that faith framework needs to look like. No one will say, here's the scripture to put around the frame. Here's the doctrine to put around the frame. That is your work my work, the community's work, to help put that together. And hallelujah for that. Because in our tradition, we have come to the understanding that your life is a sacred story. It is a holy book. And you are the author of that book. And so you become a religious authority as you learn to mine and to trust and understand your own deepest experiences in this world. Experiences that emerge from living and loving, from being in a religious community like this one, from reading sacred texts, from reading secular texts, from reading poetry and walking in nature. As you learn to trust your own deepest experiences, as you learn to know that grief, though heavy, won't kill you, as you learn that you can love again after the broken heart, as you learn that you can, in fact, stay sober for one more day or one more week or one more month or year, whatever it is, your own light begins to shine and you realize you have faith. You realize it is alive in you. Some of the hard work as we explored last week, can be excavating and then integrating parts of the past into the present. It's hard, painful work. I think of John Cummins, that reading from earlier this morning, The Faith of an Atheist, where he writes, you have rejected the childish faith in a literal Santa to make room for a larger, albeit more abstract faith in the goodness and joy and rightness of giving. You have become an atheist in regard to Santa Claus, and yet you now possess a larger faith than ever before. Your illusions have been removed to make room for a larger faith and a truer faith. That is part of integrating your faith, to excavate your faith and name and lay out those pieces, to clear out the junk, to remove the illusions and to discover and hold on to the treasures that are there as you make room for a larger and more true faith. Faith is not static. It evolves. It grows. Integrating your faith is not about severing your religious past, cutting it off, but mining it for the truths and the power that is there. And as you dig, 
As you dig, I guarantee you will bump into the ultimate question of faith, the one we must integrate into our lives and living again and again. And that question is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I don't mean in this sanctuary, although that's part of it. But here on earth, what are you doing here? Are you here to serve? Are you here to make money? To consume? To raise your family as best you can, grounded in as much love as you can muster? Are you here to help create justice and the beloved community? To feed the hungry? To house the homeless? To clothe the naked? To speak for the voiceless? Are you here to make sure that everyone has a chance to experience life's bounty and blessing and beauty? Are you here to bless the world with your unique gifts? Are you here to let your light shine? What are you doing here? Put another way, that question, put another way, goes like this. When you wake up in the morning, What story do you tell yourself? As Buddhist Sharon Salzberg writes, when we wake up and picture the dealings of our day as consequential, we tell ourselves a story that is based on our ultimate concern. We might remind ourselves of loving our neighbor or remembering God or working for justice. When at the end of our day, We recall its events and arrange them in a pattern that reveals something significant. Our ultimate concern is what we reference in that arranging. And because we can grow to have an abiding faith in an ultimate concern, we know that the day wasn't just a series of flashing moments lost to us now in amounting to nothing. We count on our ultimate concern, not just for the ballast when things get rocky or for a sense of easy comfort on a bad day. We count on it for light. And as we integrate our faith, pulling away the illusions, a larger faith emerges. Our ultimate concerns emerge And the story we tell ourselves becomes clearer and more life-giving. It is a story about counting on the light so that our own light can shine. It is a story about leaning into that dangerous, challenging, holy, surprising love and being shaped by it, scary as that may be. That place... That place can be a powerful, life-giving faith, and I'm here to tell you it is available to each and every one of us. It is available to each and every one of us as we leap directly into the center of our lives, as we claim our truth, as we claim our full potential as human beings, pulling the best from the past and the taking on what may come. That faith can ground and guide and sustain us for all of our days. May it be so. 
and amen. Amen.